0: First Peter, chapter two, verses one through three. The word of God reads as follows. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. From time to time, you see these commercials on TV uh, for the U.S. Army. They are uh, recruiting and these commercials. Uh, many of them are quite well done, in fact. I remember when I was a young boy, um, there was this uh, recruiting, recruitment slogan that the Army had, and it said that we do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. So come to the Army and be all that you can be. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if they're doing more before 9 a.m. than most people are doing all day, that is not a place that I want to be. You know, that, 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 I, I, that did not turn me on uh, to the Army. Uh, but the Army does believe that they have a program and they have a, a system. Um, and therefore, they can make these challenging statements, you know, be all that you can be. We do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. You can do it in the Army. And this is because they believe that they have a formula. They believe that they have a program, that if you would adhere to their program, that you would reach your potential for success. And, And for some, this has been true. For others, maybe not so much. But the one thing that the army is clear on is this, and that is, beloved, you will get out of it what you put into it. That's not only true about the army. I want to suggest to you this morning that that is true about the Christian life. But you're going to get out of it what you put into it. The army has its campaign, has its slogans. I would suggest to you this morning that if we were to sit around and try to develop a campaign or a slogan for the scriptures and for living the Christian life, I believe it might say this. Just four simple words. God is for you. God is for you. Next time you... Wondering about the next t shirt design you want to make? Just make that one. GI for you. GI for you. Want to make a hat? A hoodie? GI for you. Because God is for you. If there's one thing, if there's one thing that I believe that the Word of God would have us to understand this morning and understand it well, It is that God is for you. God is for you in living the Christian life. God is for you in living faithfully. God is for you. And the Scriptures remind us of this over and over again in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. We're familiar with that passage of Scripture, right? For I know... The Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God is for you. God is on your side. God is always on the side of his people. And just because, beloved, just because life is difficult, And life is challenging at any moment does not mean God is not on your side. And this is important to remember. God wants you to remember this. He wants me to remember this. And no matter what is happening or what happens, God is not just with you. God is for you. In fact, if you are going to be all that you should be, if you are going to be all that you can be, or if I might put it in common vernacular, if you're going to live your best life now, then it is important that you remember That God is for you. God is for you. In fact, I would suggest to you that this is crucial if we're going to embrace our identity in Christ. I think this is the point that the Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is making in in this text just previous to this. In reminding us of our identity in Christ and who, of, of who we are in Christ, Peter says, all that God is and all that God has done, he has done for your sake. He has done for your sake. Look at chapter 1 and verse 20. Chapter 1 and verse 20. He, speaking of Christ, Right? He, speaking of Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last days for what? For your sake. For the sake of you. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God has been in it for us. If you are a Christian, If you are a Christian this morning, you are not a Christian by accident. Faith doesn't just happen. Jesus was not just in the right place at the right time. And when you came to faith in Christ, you were not just in the right place at the right time. It was not coincidence or happenstance. But Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but it just in these last days, it has been revealed for your sake. And just as Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, guess what? You in Christ were foreknown before the foundation of the world. And the revelation of Christ in these last days has all been for your sake. Everything God's been doing. Everything God wants to do, he's doing for the sake of his people. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. The Bible says that Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And why was he slain, beloved? He was slain for you. He was slain for you. Christ was ordained has crucified for our sake. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 puts it plainly. Christ died for us. Christ died. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Why was he slain? The Bible says he died for us. God is for you. From the very beginning, First Peter, chapter three, verse 18, we'll get to in, in a few weeks. Christ died to do what? To bring us to God. That's why he died. He died for us, that we might have a way open to us that we might be brought to God. 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse 21. What does it say? We just sung it a little while ago as we were singing, but what does the Bible say? Christ became sin for who? Christ became sin for us. For us. He who knew no sin became sin for our sake. And then who can forget Isaiah? Chapter fifty-three, verse five. All right. Christ was pierced for what? For our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished for our peace. The New Living Translation puts this this way: He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. We can go on and on and on with this, beloved. But the message is clear. God is for us. In fact, this is the good news. This is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel. When we preach the gospel faithfully, what we are preaching is God for his people. Sending Christ. Christ dying on the cross. Christ being buried and Christ raised again. For who? For his people. For us. In fact, that's what the Bible says, right? In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 25 just prior to our text this morning. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Christ slain for your sake. It's a sure word, beloved. It is a sure word. is a word that doesn't fade. It's a word that doesn't change. And that makes it the good news. Christ for his people. Your life in Christ is no accident. It's The first thing you and I need to get clear and we need to have that conviction in our hearts and minds. Our life in Christ is no accident. God has been with you God has been for you all the way. God wants you to be the best Christ-like you can be. God wants your best life now in Christ. But well, in order for that to take place, he says, there's some things you have to discard. And then there's something that you need to desire. You have to discard some sinful ways. And you have to desire spiritual growth. You can be all that you can be. You can live your best life now, but you got to discard some sinful ways, and you got to desire some spiritual growth. All of that realizing, because God is for you. God's for you, but you got to discard some sinful things. You got to discard some sinful ways. See what verse one says in chapter two. So, therefore, therefore. Since God is for you, has sent Christ before the foundation of the world to die for you, has established the reality that he is for you, that he is on your side. Therefore, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Therefore, put away. Put away. Therefore, just get rid of, lay aside. As in Hebrews, the idea here is the same as the idea in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, right? Where the Bible tells us that we are to lay aside that sin that so easily entangles us, lay it aside. The best for us, beloved, the best for us begins by laying down the worst in us. Laying it aside, laying it down. Before, and we know this, right? Before you can really start eating right, what do you have to do? Stop eating wrong. What difference does it make if you try to eat right, but you consistently also eat wrong? I'm going to eat healthy on Monday, but junk food on Tuesday. First, you have to stop eating wrong. And then begin to eat right. The Bible just told us just previous to this, right? That idea of putting on love. Before, beloved, you can put on love, you gotta put off a few things. You gotta put off a few things. the first one the Bible says here is malice. Malice Idea just as bad, evil, wicked thoughts and behaviors toward others. This idea of, of malice is the antithesis of love. Love desires the good of others, malice is actively desiring ill toward another, it's the opposite of love. Beloved, do you I hope you understand something? And I know this is going to be really difficult for us to really get our minds around. And this is not the pastor talking, this is what the Bible says. Okay, but the Bible consistently reminds Christians that Christians ought not to hate anything but sin. Christians don't hate people. Christians hate sin. And and consistently, we need to be doing inventory in our lives to see if there is really anybody in our lives that we can honestly say that we have malice toward. And I want to suggest to you this morning, as Abraham Lincoln said, that we should have malice toward none. Because, beloved, malice is a rottenness. That eats away at your soul. And it begins to eat you from the inside out. And the Bible tells us that we are to have malice toward none. Not even our enemies. Not even our enemies. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. You know, if there's any time that we can justify hating somebody, it's because somebody has acted in a very malicious or hateful way toward us. And yet the Bible says here that you are not to hate your enemies, you are to love them. You are not to have malice toward those who are malicious to you, but you are instead to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. You're going to eat, right? You have to stop eating wrong. you are got to live your best life now. you got to put off a few things. The Bible says, first of all, put away malice. And to the point where you can honestly say, I have malice toward no one. Also put away deceit. The idea of dishonesty. It's the idea of acting with hidden motives and agenda. It's the idea of speaking with a forked tongue. Illustration of this is the fisherman who baits the hook for a fish and he throws the hook with the bait on it in the water and the fish believes that he is getting dinner but actually the fish is becoming the dinner. Is that type of Deceit, beloved, Christians should never be guilty of baiting and switching. It should always be an integrity in our lives because God is a God of integrity and therefore Christians ought to speak and behave with a sense of integrity that there is no guile and no deceit. Psalm 32 and 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. Closely related to this is hypocrisy. Put away the malice. Put away the deceit. Put away the hypocrisy. And it's closely related to this, beloved. Hypocrisy is playing a part of one while actually being another. It is fakery. You know what? I I, I am convinced that if there is anything, uh, if there is any malady that befalls this current generation, this internet generation, this generation of social media, it is hypocrisy. It is hypocrisy. It is being one thing on the internet and another thing in person. I'm amazed, I'm amazed at how bold and ornery people are on the internet, but when you come face to face with them, they cower like little lambs. I'm amazed at how people on the internet have these large huge personalities and personas, but when you come face to face with them they hardly and barely want to speak. It's hypocrisy, beloved. It is is saying how much you are lovey-dovey with your wife on the internet and on Facebook and wishing her all these great wishes, but at home you are honoring, mean, and unloving. I've seen posts by young, I've seen posts by wives on Facebook where you would think that they are in the most blessed relationship with their husband that has ever seen, and yet I know that at home they are ornery and mean and disregarding. And the Christ- Scripture says to Christians that we need to put away these things. Put it away, beloved. If you can't be honest on social media, then don't be on social media. It's fakery, beloved. It's faking love. It's refusing to love when you are convinced that God has so loved you. It is refusing to forgive when you know that God has forgiven you so much. Put away the malice. Put away the hypocrisy. Put away the deceit. Put away the envy. Being Envious. With malice, we intend others harm, and with envy, we begrudge their good. You see the difference there? You see how they both need to be put away? With malice, we hope that something bad would happen to people. With, with envy, we begrudge anything that good happens to them. We desire it for ourselves. It is the attitude of resentment at the blessings of others. It is desiring the blessings of others and therefore not being content with our own. It is the older brother when his prodigal brother comes home. We are called, Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, right, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We ought to understand that God blessings others does not mean that there are less blessings available for me. And therefore, I can rejoice in the provisions that God makes and has for your life because that in no way hinders him for providing for me. Put it away. Put it away. Put it away. Put away the envies. Put away the hypocrisies. Put away the malice. Put away the deceit. Put away the slanders. The idea of speaking ill of another people—it literally the word here—is evil speaking. It is speaking in such a way that makes yourself look good at the expense of another. It is the idea of exposing the sin of others for the sake of lifting up your own estimation. And yet the Bible tells us that we ought to be doing the very opposite of that, beloved. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, the Bible says, love one another with brotherly affection." Outdo one another in showing honor. We ought to be outdoing one another. We ought to be outracing one another and lifting each other up and honoring each other. And as Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us that we ought to not do any of these things out of selfish motive or ambition or conceit, but in humility count Others more significant than yourself. Never real popular, I know. Never real popular when the Bible begins to indict us and tells us those things that we need to put away. I know that's why it's quiet in here. I get it. You have to say, Amen. is what the Lord says. And he says this, beloved, not because he is against us. He says these things because he is for us. He says these things because he wants us to be all that we can be in Christ. He says these things because he desires for us to live our best life now in Christ. But he knows that you will not live your best life now in Christ if you have malice in your heart. You won't live that life if there is hypocrisy and deceit, you won't be all that you can be if you are slanderous towards your brothers and sisters. Heaven say this because he is against us. Says this because he is for us. He is with us. And he wants us to be all that we can be. Desire. The Lord desires, beloved. He desires for all of us to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He desires for each of us to be putting on Christ and therefore putting off the flesh. And the reason that we can actually do these things, beloved, is because God is for us. But we won't. And we can't do these things if we believe that the person sitting next to us or the person sitting in front of us in the pew is our competition. That person next to you is not your competition. The person in front of you is not your competition. And therefore, you don't compare yourselves with others, you don't compare yourselves among yourselves. Instead, you should be resting and therefore reaching for Christ Jesus as your goal. Beloved, if I am your goal, your goal is too small. You and I must be reaching for Christ. Reaching, and then also, not just reaching, but we need, therefore, to be resting in him. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and desire that which is spiritual. Isn't it interesting here? Though so, beloved, that God doesn't just call us to discard sinful ways. It doesn't just stop there. But even more importantly, he calls us to desire spiritual growth. And spiritual growth, beloved, is not just about what you don't do. Spiritual growth is more importantly about what you do do. Christianity is not what we don't do. But more importantly, Christianity is about what we do do. Yes, yes, beloved, we do put off the flesh and we do put off sinful desires. But more importantly, is that we are actively seeking to put on Christ. That we are desiring God, that we are desiring Christ, that we are desiring His Word. And so therefore, therefore, we don't ignore when the Bible tells us, so you need to put away these things. Put away malice and deceit and slander and hypocrisy. Put away those things. But the Christian is not mainly known for what he or she doesn't do. The Christian should be known by what he or she does. What do we do? It says right there, verse 2, like newborn infants, we long for the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up into salvation. That's what we do. That's what we do. We desire. We desire Christ. We desire God. We long for growth through the pure spiritual milk of God's word. This is what Christians do. This is what we do. We long. We crave. We desire that's the key word there beloved this idea of craving and desiring psalm 42 in verse 1 is quite familiar word to us right as the deer as the deer pants for the flowing streams so pants my soul for you god that's the idea is this panting it's this desire it is give it to me i have to have it I like got the Thanksgiving dinner table and a little Christian was sitting there and that bread was in front of him and he didn't care what you were offering. He didn't want the turkey. He didn't want the dressing. He wanted the bread. Give it to me. That's the idea. That's the idea. Give it, give me, give me, give me that, give me that, give me that, Lord, give me that. You ever watch the nature shows? I like to watch the nature shows, particularly when they talk about the big cats—the lions and the tigers and the cheetahs and the jaguars and, and the leopards. Those are my favorites. I really like those leopards and those jaguars. Them some ferocious beasts, and those tigers—they are just beautiful. I don't like lions too much. They are bullies. But they are ferocious. Have you ever watched the mother with those baby cubs? you ever watched the mother with kittens or pups? When it comes time, when it comes feeding time, and I don't care how many it is, two, three, five, ten, when it comes feeding time, They are crawling over one another. They are are scratching at one another. They are seeking to get the best positions so that they can feed upon their mother's breast. Because there is a craving and a desire for the thing that is most needful, beloved. Nourishment. Satisfaction. And this is the idea that the Word of God has here for us this morning. Like newborn babies, desire, crave the sincere spiritual milk of God's Word. Why do you desire it? Well, because one, this is where your hope is. This is where your help is, beloved. This is where your help is. It is in God's Word. You know, once that baby is born and once that baby realizes, when that baby realizes that his or her satisfaction comes from its mother's breast, there is no satisfaction anywhere else. When it comes time to to be fed and to be nursed, I don't care how many toys you bring out, I don't care how many TV shows you try to get them entertained with, there is only one place of satisfaction. There's only one thing that's going to help. My wife used to, you know, she still does from time to time. She, She criticizes me because when the babies were small, particularly the twins, and, and they would wake up in the middle of the night. And I would go get them, and you know what I would do? I'd go give them, and I'd bring them to her. And I'd go back to sleep. Because those babies didn't want me. They were not longing and pining and desiring and craving for daddy. They wanted mommy because that's where their help was. This is what God wants for His people. This is what we need to realize from God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1, verse 2 reminds us that this is the blessed man blessed one finds his delight in the law of the Lord and on his law he does meditate day and night. It is his help. It is not just his help, it is his hope. If a child has any hope of growing, it must be nourished with milk and a mother's milk is the best. It is where the most nutrients are. It is where the strength comes from, beloved. You don't take your babies to McDonald's. You don't even t- take them to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> beloved, you take them to their mother so that they may grow because this is what they desire to do. In the world, beloved, the world, don't get it twisted. The world has a lot it wants you to feast upon. It wants you to feast your eyes upon this. It wants you to satisfy your heart with that. But if you are going to grow up in Christ, the Bible says that you must be nourished by the pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God. Job chapter 23, and verse 12, the Bible says, I have not departed from the commands of his lip. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food, more than my daily bread. More than my daily bread, I have craved for God's Word, God's Word, God's Word. Somebody recently said to me, they said, Pastor, I'm having a hard time getting into the Word. And I said, well, at those difficult times when you're having a hard time getting into the Word, a better question that I like to ask is, is the word getting into you? You see, you may not be able to, to you may not have the energy and you may not have the enthusiasm for sitting down and, and, and studying the Bible and opening the, the Bible and reading the Bible. But are you availing yourself at Sunday school? Are you coming to Bible study? Are you coming to church and sitting and being attentive to the Word of God? Because even when you are not able to get into the Word, you can still have the Word getting into you. Craving it. Desiring it. Don't be deceived and allow the enemy trick you, beloved, and think that you can only grow if you are actively every day studying your Bible and when you don't, therefore you are condemned. Beloved, there are seasons when you need others to come along and make sure that the Word of God is getting into your ears. There are trying and troubling times. That's why you avail yourself to Bible study. This is why you come to Sunday school. This is why you make sure you're in church on Sunday so that the word of God gets into you even when you don't have the strength to be getting into in the word. You desire it, beloved. Why? Because of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 speaking of God, says His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. All things, all things. Why? Because God is for you and therefore He's granting you All things, grant you all things in his word whereby you may grow up in this life and grow up in godliness so that you may obtain the full maturity in Christ, the fullness of your salvation. God's goal is not only that you and I would be saved, beloved, but that you and I would grow up in the knowledge and understanding of Christ and becoming more and more like him. That's the goal. That's the goal. And God desires this, beloved. He desires. He desired that you would be the best that you could be. That you would be all that you could be. That you would live indeed your best life now in Christ Jesus. And if you are being faithful, beloved, you understand this. You understand that no matter where you are right now in your Christian life, you still got growing to do. We never stop growing in this life. There's always more to being faithful. There's always more to trusting Christ. There's always more to loving Him and others. There's always more to knowing God. And living faithfully to Him. And this is what God desires, beloved. He desires this because He is good. He desires this because He is good. The Lord desires your growth. He desires that you and I would grow. And therefore, you and I should desire it too. And so you see in verse 3 where it says, if indeed, now this is, remember? Put away these things. Desire the Word of God because this is the way that you're going to be growing up in Christ. This is the identity marks of, of a Christian. Putting away the works of the flesh. Putting on Christ the desiring of the spiritual milk whereby we grow up and become more like Him You do this if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now the idea here, beloved, is not so much if, as if there were any question. The idea here is more like since, or as the NIV puts it, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. There is no excuse for not growing in Christ. There is no excuse for not growing. Because if You want to grow, God wants it too. But here's the thing, beloved, even if you don't want it, God still wants it for you. There is no excuse, and there is no excuse because as we established in the beginning, God is for you. And and the God who is for you is the Lord who is good. And if you are saved this morning, if you are saved this morning, you know the Lord is good. You've tasted it. You've tasted it, beloved. You've tasted it. And, and I have no qualms at all, and nor do I hesitate in saying that the Lord has been good to you. The Lord has been good to you. And I say that, and I have no excuses. Lord has been good. Now, people, people will ask me from time to time, Pastor, how you doing? And if I see a sincerity in their eyes, I'll tell them. It's tough. There's all kind of challenges coming and going in my life and my children's lives and my and my family. There's challenges that church there's challenges out there in the world there's all types of challenges that are going on in my life and if you if there's honesty in your eyes and there's sincerity in your voice, I will tell you all about them but when I finish, the conviction in my heart is to say but the Lord has been good." Because I know in my heart of hearts that he has been good despite the pain, despite the heartache, despite the loss, despite the disappointments, despite the grief and the tragedy and the hurt that many of us experience day to day and some of us are in even at this moment. There is one constant that has not changed, beloved, and that is the Lord has been good. He's been good. He has been good. And I won't rehearse. I won't rehearse all of the scriptures in the Bible that tell us that the Lord is good. Because there are too many to recount this morning, beloved. But the Bible tells us over and over again that the Lord is good. He is good. He is good. I will give you one, though. Psalm 119, verse 68. says that the Lord is good and what he does is good. The Lord is good and what he does is good. And every time, every time I say those words, I am convicted. Every time I say those words, I am convicted because I will have a tendency to accuse God. I will have a tendency to believe that God has been unfair. I will have a tendency to believe that God has been indifferent I will have a tendency to believe that God is not present I will have a tendency to believe that he is not for me nor is he with me and every time I have that tendency I am convicted by the spirit as I know as I look over my life the Lord has been good. I should have been gone. I shouldn't have what I have. I shouldn't have the family that I have. I shouldn't be standing in this pulpit. I shouldn't have the friends that I have, nor should I have the salvation that I have. And through it all, I am convicted again and again that the Lord is good. And I am not only convicted, though, beloved, but every time I say those words to myself, I am also comforted. I am comforted because I know that if the Lord doesn't do another good thing for me in this life, he has done more than I could ever deserve. If the Lord doesn't give me another ounce of goodness in this life, he has already guaranteed eternal goodness for me. And if this life ends today, I shall go into eternal bliss Well, I will know for sure that the Lord is good. I'm comforted in that. I am comforted in that that, beloved. In fact, I am comforted this morning that the Lord desires our good and he desires our growth. And I know that is true because you are here this morning and he has once again given you an opportunity to taste and see how good he is. He's good this morning because he has a word for you this morning. He has a word for you this morning that says, if you would desire the sincere milk of the word thereby which you will grow, you will once again taste and see how good the Lord is. He has a word for you this morning that he has not forsaken you, that he has not forgotten you, that he has not left you to your own devices because you are here this morning. And he wants you to know that he is with you. He is for you. And that in him you can be all that you can be. In him you can have and live your best life now. Beloved, we're going to come to the Lord's table in a few moments. When we come to the Lord's table, as you take the bread into your hands and you take the cup into your hands, hear the word of God saying, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He was good in calling you. He was good in saving you. He is going to be good in glorifying you. He is good. Taste and see once again that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is with humble hearts, Lord,